Bruce is here. It's his birthday, by the way. Say happy birthday to him. Uh, Bruce, happy birthday before you leave. So, uh, yeah. Well, uh, I'm glad everybody's here and uh, excited to be here going through this text today. Uh, We're going through the series, Enduring Faith. And if you know anything about life, well, it can be long and it can be difficult, but I'm thankful that we have a faith and we have a God who is there to walk alongside us um, the whole time. And so if you're uh, with us online, welcome if you're in person. I'm glad because I can see you. And um, yeah, my name is Michael. I'm the pastor here, if you didn't know. Uh, So let's go ahead and jump into it. Grab your Bibles, 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy. We'll be in uh, chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. Uh, And many times you you may wonder, we kind of go back and forth like through uh, books of the Bible, so book studies, uh, and then we'll do like topical studies. So we try to mix it up, and right now we're in the middle of book study. Um, One of the things that um, one of my mentors said to me this week, I was talking to him on the phone and uh, just kind of telling him what we were going through, the series, Um, he was doing some writing, and so we just kind of talked about God's Word. And one of the things he said to me, he goes, remember, Michael, when you're going through a book of the Bible, you can't just skip over tough stuff. You can't just skip over difficult stuff. And so um, there'll be a couple of texts, actually, over the next several weeks that most people would say are difficult texts. And I think they're difficult because at times we don't really understand what they mean. And so I've just been pouring over this text really for the last several weeks and praying over it and... Um, yeah, I just ask you guys to continue to pray for me as I do those things and study and, <clears throat> and get ready for a message. Um, I know this will be a good one today and uh, hopefully um, open up some of our eyes. And so we're going through this study, Enduring Faith, and uh, today we're talking about men and women. So men and women are different, right? Yeah. All right, yeah. Bruce is like, amen. Thank you. So uh, yes, that's very true, right? Men and women are different. Um, we interact in relationships and marriage and family uh, at work, other places. And so we need to know what that looks like, but we especially need to know what that looks like specifically at home and then in the church. That's where we really need a lot of guidance. So we go other places and we may operate a little bit differently, but God's got some specific word for us today. Uh, and so I want to really center this idea on godly living. So if you don't remember anything else, um, just remember today we're trying to talk about godly living and kind of frame some roles for men and women, uh, both at, at home, so for family, uh, and in the church. And at the time when Paul is writing this to Timothy, um, there's a lot of different things pressing in on the church in Ephesus. Um, So they've got social issues, uh, they've got got economic issues, they've got a lot of confusion about even religious things. So people would come to church, so they would come to the church that was started, a Christian church, and then they would bring in other ideas. And so uh, there was a big struggle there because um, people were confused about doctrine. And I love that we're going through Romans as well in the quiet time. Uh, because that really gives you just big chunks, big pieces of theology. And so it's one of the things we're going to be talking about today. And so in this godly living, I, I know if you were asked, um, do you live a godly life? Some, you, most of us would probably say, well, yeah, you know, I, I try, I do my best. Um, and, I, and I love what, uh, what Bryce talked about this morning as well, that this righteousness that God gives to us, it, it is. It's this free gift. You look at the text, there's nothing that we can do to merit it, but yet... These good things that we do should be this outflowing of this relationship that we have with God through Jesus Christ. And we're going to talk about that today as well. And so when we think about godly living, a lot of us would say, <clears throat> yeah, I know I do live a godly life, and I've made that decision to put my faith and trust in Jesus, and so I'm doing my best um, to stay close to him. But when some people hear that, I think they think more about like the good life, right? So we've got godly living, 
and we've got the good life. And this was going on in Ephesus as well. As Paul's writing in church, he knows this is an issue. There was a huge divide culturally, socially, and economically. And one of these was a big problem. Uh, it was the uh, economic one. And so you can go ahead and go to the next slide. Um, I just wanted to show you something. There, there was a variety of housing and places that people could live. And, and one of the things that they've really done a good job uh, of excavating are, was the housing in Ephesus. So um, this is one of the most well-preserved sites. If you go there, if you ever go there, it'd be fun. Uh, if you ever go there in modern-day Turkey, um, they've excavated a lot of these what's called terrace housing and these, these were houses that were like built into like the rock formations and just Ephesus was like really rocky. It would not have been a good place to try to build a fence. Um, you just wouldn't have been able to do it. You start digging and then you hit rock. Um, so what they did was they, they dug out a lot of the rock and they built homes into this, I'm um, called this terrace housing. And, and really, if anything happened, any storms, any bad weather, that kind of stuff, this would be one of the best places to live. And it was one of the most expensive ones. You can see why, because it's lasted the test of time. And so as we think about godly living and the good life, I feel like we get confused at times. We think like, you know, God, we want to have, you know, good life. We want to have, you know, good jobs. We want to have uh, money in the bank. We want to have cars that are working. We want to have nice things. And God gives this to us as blessings. But I think sometimes we, we, we kind of veer off and we go, you know, God, if any of those things ever go away, if you take any of those things away from me, or if, I, if anybody gets sick or anything bad happens, then like, you know, I'm going to be upset. Right now, <clears throat> we understand what godliness is. We know that it's not really about all of those things, right? So, for the people in Ephesus, they would maybe be believers, but they would be walking into church and they would be dressed a certain way. They would act a certain way. They would act like they own the place, just because the person who might sit down the pew from them—I don't think they had pews—but <clears throat> maybe down in another seat from them, in a different place, they turned their nose up at them and they thought. God must love me more. And nothing could be further from the truth, right? Because if Jesus died for our sins, which we believe that, he raised from the grave three days later, and he conquered sin and death, and he gave us his righteousness, what does everything else matter, right? What is everything else on top? It's not about necessarily living the good life. It's about living a godly life, right? And so we give thanks and praise to God for all the things that he blesses us in. But we say, God, what do we really want to be about? When, you know, the rubber hits the road, what do we want to really be about? And so here's the first thing, uh, quarreling versus praying. It's found in the first verse. And I just want to <clears throat> make an appeal because we're going to be talking about men. We're going to be talking about women. What are their um, goals? What do those relationships look like? Um, how do men and women operate together in marriage and in the church? But here, I, I think that this section starts this way for a reason. Uh, and let me just read it to you, and we'll go from there. <clears throat> Verse 8. I desire that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Uh, here's what was going on in Ephesus. There was a lot of fighting. There was a lot of backbiting, especially among the men. And there was a lot of, if you can imagine, you know, Colosseum warfare and those type of things was, was sports. So you go there, and, like, guys would fight animals, or they would sacrifice people to an animal, or um, they would fight each other. And, you know, everybody, you know, loved that, right? I know we like things like football, but, you know, as far as I know, those guys aren't trying to kill each other, right? Um, so there's some comparison there, but at this time, it was a very violent culture. And so um, the whole families would, like, go and, and just watch this stuff. And so... Um, <clears throat> Paul is trying to redirect the family, and he starts uh, with the man, with the husband, for a reason. He goes, here's what you need to be doing. Like, here's what you need to be thinking about when you get up in the morning. 
Paul says, I have a desire that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Now, here's the other side of this. Sometimes people, when they, like, they read certain passages of the Bible like this, they go like, Christians should be pacifists. And that's not what Paul's saying either. He, you know, he's not saying like, you know, if somebody broke into your house and was trying to attack your family, like, dude, you should do something about that, right? <laughs> so man should do something about that, okay? And that should be expected. It's not so much in our culture anymore. It's like, you know, somebody breaks in and you're like, look at each other. I, who's supposed to take care of this? I, I don't know. I don't know, right? No, so no, uh, woman, call 911, right? So wife calls 911. I'm going to go make sure kids are safe. Um, but, but that's kind of the culture that we're in. So Paul's saying, just like he's saying to, uh, to us in the church here in Ephesus, what should men be focused on? We should be praying, right? Now, especially guys, you know, I have type A too. We get like our checklists going and our projects and our things, and I'm just as guilty of this as anybody else. I'm like, what do I have to get done? What do I have to do? And that's sometimes the first thing that pops into my mind when I get up, and I'm like, go, you know, <laughs> get the stuff done for the day. But, but then, you know, you got to stop, right? You got to stop and realize like, what is... What is God saying to us as men, as um, individuals who are supposed to be leading in the family unit? What, what should we be doing? We should be praying, <clears throat> lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. So there's a time and a place, right? So, so guys know, and as we'll see at the end of this text, that self-control is a part of being a believer. And, and so we, we want to honor that as well. But there's a time and a place for a man to stand up and protect his family, right? To do what's right, to lead spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally. And that's where it should start. And as I was studying through this, I, I came across an article. Um, it, was, uh, uh, it was about um, something that happened at a school. So it was two individual students at a school. Um, one hurt the other. And so as a result, um, you know, there, were, there was like some dads that got together. And this was in Virginia. And they said, you know, we love school. Like teachers are awesome. But like we'd really like to provide some extra help. Is there any way we could volunteer be in the hallway, you know, give kids high fives when they come through, but make sure that things are peaceful and things are safe. Um, now, you know, I, I want to pray for any of you that have been in any difficult circumstances like that, maybe yourself or your kids, and, and just go, man, I'm, I'm sorry if anything happens. And this was a result of that. So something happened at a school, a kid was hurt, and it shouldn't have happened. And so this group um, of dads um, started this group called Dads on Duty. Dads on Duty. Now, I think it's still going through legislation in, in regards to Virginia. No, you can't be in school. That's what they're saying right now. Uh, but they said, if we could just be there, maybe provide a little bit extra buffer of peace, a dad's presence. Isn't it amazing, like, you know, what a dad's presence provides? And you've probably been aware of that, like, dad's away, and he comes back, and it's like, everything changes. Like, why were you guys acting crazy, and now dad's back, and like, you're behaving, right? <laughs> you know? Um, but we shouldn't be surprised by that, because Paul's saying, hey, we've got to lead out in this, right? There's a time and a place to stand up for what's right. Um, we, we have to be self-controlled, but at the same time, we need to lead, don't we? Um, <clears throat> and so, yeah, dad, I thought that was cool. Uh, dad's on duty. So what are dads going to be doing? The guys going to be doing spending more time focusing on God than we do worrying about causing division, fighting. I mean, looking at another guy and being like, better than he is, right? God, hey, I know I got some problems, but better than him, right? So we, we've got to stop doing that and just saying, am I the man that God wants me to be? for my family, for the church. Um, <clears throat> so we've got to ask that question first, okay? And so just, I'm going to make a couple of notes throughout here, just, just special notes before we go to the, ne- the next point. Um, and I'm praying for you too, like if you're here and you're by yourself, and maybe somebody else is at home and you're like, I'm praying for that guy, like my heart goes out to you and I want you to know I'm praying for you, okay? 
Um, and so, but I want to give us direction as a whole and then just encourage, just hope. Maybe, uh, maybe the guy's at home right now and you're just going like, maybe I can just talk to him about it. Maybe I can say, hey, just listen to the message. Um, just check it out. Because there's a great call for us as men to lead. And, and man, how much better do things go, like in family, in church, in our mode of operation, when, when godly men stand up? And that's what I'm asking you to do right now. I think that's what Paul's doing. That's why he starts this section off where he goes, here's what we need to be doing. Stop worrying about fighting. Stop worrying about getting better than somebody else. Stop thinking you are better than somebody else. Fighting about things that don't matter. Spend a little more time praying. And I know I need to do that too. And so here's the second thing. <clears throat> Culture versus modesty. So we've got quarreling versus praying. Uh, and that's for the men. And so this is a uh, second point. Culture versus modesty. And this is for the ladies, verses 9 and 10. It says... Likewise, also that the women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold, pearls, and costly attire. So, now just as a side note here, before we jump into it, if you braid your hair, that's okay. <laughs> uh, if you, uh, you have some nice jewelry, maybe some family heirlooms or something, or like if your husband got you something, that's Okay. Um, maybe you have some pearls. I, I, I don't, but uh, maybe you do, ladies, and you like to wear that stuff. That's okay. Um, or maybe costly attire. And there's a time and a place for everything, isn't there? Um, depending on what kind of event you're at, right, in church. And so um, Paul's not saying here, hey, don't, <clears throat> don't be a slob, but, but let's think about, like, when we come to the worship gathering. And, and it's really more here about not flaunting the things that you do have. And, and there are a number of, like, cultural things that are playing into this, too. So one of them is... Uh, Surrounding the area culturally, there's this worship of Artemis. Um, so um, this goddess uh, who is um, existing in this temple that they built, and what was being told to the ladies was go to this temple, you get special knowledge. And you know what they were saying there? <clears throat> there was temple prostitution that was going on. And so they thought, as well as getting special knowledge, and you know what, I'm going to leave my family because my husband, he's just a bozo, right? He sits on the, te- you know, sits on the couch and he's, you know, he's playing video games. And I'm like, when is he going to grow up? <laughs> Right? So, uh, so they're going in there thinking that. They didn't have TV or video games, but they, they're going in there thinking that, and they're being told this, and they're going, well, if I want to keep my man's attention because I'm here at the temple, I mean, they can just come freely, right, and participate in temple prostitution. And, and so if I'm going to be able to do that, I have to dress in a particular way, and that wasn't a good way, right? So I'll leave it at that. And so th- there was that influence going on, and so people were coming into the church, maybe dressed in not the best way, um, pointing attention to themselves as opposed to God. And uh, so Paul's trying to address, he goes, uh, let's wear some respectable apparel with modesty. And then there were some other church issues going on. So while um, ladies were coming in and they were getting this other information, they would um, come into church service. And so maybe the husband would come, maybe he wouldn't. Um, and so a lady would stand up and go, hey, I've got this special knowledge from Artemis. And I know Jesus died for our sins, but also I think we should talk about this. And a lot of the time, these ideas and these things were tied to uh, demonic ideas and things that would um, divide the church. Say, hey, you know what? Artemis said, husbands don't know anything. Uh, you know, we, we, need to, we need to do things our own way here, right? Um, so that was one of the issues that was going on as well. So that was religious. So you not only had Christianity, but you had these other secular religions that were like bombarding <clears throat> the church and families. And Paul's going like, Timothy, got your work cut out for you. Let me give you some help, some help from the Lord. Um, <clears throat> and then there, well, there was another thing going on with... Um, the government, so Nero was the emperor at the time, and um, ladies were being influenced in a way that maybe you wouldn't think um, there was the empress, right? So you have the emperor. Nobody really talks about the empress a whole lot. Uh, 
There were quite a few of them. Nero had three wives in particular. Uh, and every time an empress would change out, um, there would be a new style, right? And so something would pop up. And I know we deal with that too. It's like, oh, it's a different season. There's a new style. I'm not saying don't be trendy, right? That's not, that's not what I'm saying. Um, do that. I'm pretty simple because, you know, it's like polo and, a, and khakis, right? That's, that's easy for me. Um, but for ladies, I know it's like a different world, okay? So look nice, do that. Um, but be respectable, right? And modest and self-controlled is what he says here. You know, don't be like trying to get on every fashion train that's like going along. Like when you walk into church, like God doesn't care about all those things. And we've got to ask ourselves the question too, like, like, like how are we gathering together? Like is somebody coming to the gathering who's wearing something from like 1980? That's okay, right? Like those don't last that long because they wear holes in them. And then my beautiful wife says, maybe we should get something new, right? So, uh, you know, so it doesn't really matter, right, how we come into this place. Be trendy, be um, respectable, be modest, right? And um, <clears throat> then there was this huge income gap, too. So we talked about this terraced housing. So the ladies coming in, they're like, got my pearls, got my gold. Oh, you don't? Oh, okay. Well, you can sit over there, and I'll sit over here, right? So there are all these divides, and, and when I look around, you know, I, I don't think we do that to each other, right? And I'm thankful for that. But when we read these texts, we have to go, oh, that, that was a serious issue. And you know what? It's still an issue today, right? When people walk into church, and if you don't look or act or think a particular way, then you, you know, don't belong. And, and God's going like, that's not what matters, right? Especially in the family of God, okay? And in verse 10, uh, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. And so... Paul ends this part here, this section on culture versus modesty, uh, with going back to what really matters. Like, what is God looking like? Is he like, oh, she's got the right style, or, um, oh, she's, she's got, you know, the more costly apparel or jewelry. She's coming in a particular way, and God's like, thank you. Thank you for, you know, bringing that into our presence. Uh, no, he's, uh, he's going like, um, what really matters? He says here, with what's proper for women who profess godliness with good works. So what does God see? Well, he sees everything, doesn't he? And he, see right to, he sees right into the intention of our hearts. So no matter what we do, no matter the way that we act, not, it's not even about like, what we say because we can come in here and pretend that things are one way when maybe they're another way in our heart. When we walk in, ladies in particular, um, he says, here's what you should be doing. Women who profess godliness with good works, right? So what are you concerned about? Are you doing the good works? Are you doing those things that God wants us to be doing? Again, from what the passage we read today in the quiet time in Romans 5, it's not about these good things saving us, right? We can't stack on the scale enough good things that when we die and we stand before God, you know, ladies are going to be like, hey, check out the stuff I did for the community. I mean, I volunteered. I mean, you know me, God. Like, I'm good. The conversation should be more about, well, what did you do? Did you put your faith and trust in Jesus and Paul says, hey, if you have done that, right, if you belong to God, then all these things are going to be an outflow. And I love, hey, I love the baby sounds. It's <laughs> a good sound. And uh, <clears throat> so when we think about these things, we think about these good works, it's just an overflow, right? We sh- and we shouldn't even feel like when we do those things, we, you know, we, we help somebody across the street, or we come to church, or we're serving in a particular area, or we give to the church, or we're helping with some ministry, you know, we're not going like, God, you're welcome, like, add another, you know, Point, right? No, we're saying, God, we do these things because we love you. So, and it's not about us. And that's everything that Paul was trying to get back to. He goes, Men, stop being about yourself. Stop punching each other in the face and be like, Who's the bigger man? Because God doesn't care about that, right? 
And he's saying to the ladies, hey, don't worry about making sure that somebody else notices you. Your God in heaven notices you. He sees the intention of your heart. And here's the third one. Learning versus teaching. So, um, and as I've gone through passages and I was talking to my um, mentor, one of my mentors this week, I was like, sometimes because passages, passages can be difficult in the Bible, it's like, how do, we, how do we explain those? How do we help people understand them? And just go back to the word over and over again. Scripture interprets Scripture, so that's what we're going to do. And dissect this a little bit, then um, everybody can breathe, okay, after I read it. Uh, Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Everybody take a deep breath. In through the nose, out through the mouth, right? Doing some of that this week. Let me explain a few things, okay? And then we'll go from there, all right? So there's some learning misconceptions that are going on here. All the ladies are like, I'm breathing. Okay. There's some learning misconceptions here. So that when Paul says this very first thing here, he says, let women learn. There would have been a really big problem culturally with that phrase right there. Like people in culture would have gone like, women can't learn. They can't go to school. They can't like, no, they're not supposed to do any of that kind of stuff. Just, you know, stay there. And then, uh, you know, you can be a housewife, which by the way, being a homemaker is not a bad thing. I think that's a very godly thing too. If you work outside of the home, that's great. Um, <clears throat> but what Paul's talking to, he's going, hey, um, counterculturally, I'm saying women should learn. But you know what was going on? It's like the Temple of Artemis stuff was going on, the cultural influence. Men were sitting on the couch playing video games, right? And they weren't, they weren't actually leading their families. So he's going, hey, women should learn. Like, let's do this in the right way. And so he's, count, he's presenting this uh, countercultural idea. And so it's, it's not only in like apparel and things you're doing as you're coming in, like, Act a certain way, like focus on what really matters, the intentions of your heart, um, the good works that you're doing. And so don't focus on all this other stuff because ladies were coming in and they were going, I've got this special knowledge, like I can, you know, let me just say a few things. And when really they didn't know what the gospel was. They didn't know what good theology was. And so Paul's going, hey, men, stand up, lead. <clears throat> ladies, no, he's, he kind of doesn't do everything he should do all the time, but cut him a little bit of slack and, and let him lead, Okay. And so um, everyone was taking a side on different issues, and they weren't really worrying about godly living. They were going, I want to be about this, and I want to be about that. And I think when we read this, too, sometimes we think, well, God's not about equality. He's not about care. And actually, the opposite is true, because in this culture, women were being victimized. Either they were being told, you can't learn, you can't do anything, don't just stay there, don't worry about it. Or they were being told, yeah, you can have special knowledge, but it was not godly knowledge, right? It was not biblical knowledge. And so people were very confused. So Paul's going, let's get a grasp on this, okay? So learn quietly with all submissiveness. And this again points back to the marriage relationship too. We'll talk about Ephesians 5 a little bit. But I want to look at a couple of these words. So the word here, let a woman. That word, gune in the Greek, uh, if you see it in Ephesians chapter 5, it's actually translated as wife. So when we read this, and, and I don't know why, um, when the translators were going through this and translated from Greek to English, um, I think maybe there was some confusion. I've, I've looked at what a lot of scholars have said, and, and most point to this being about the relationship between the husband and the wife. Because what was the problem culturally? Right? Men weren't leading. Women were being told, you should lead. You don't, you don't, you don't need that man. And, and vice versa, like today, I think sometimes we go the opposite direction too, and we go... Like, you need your husband to validate you and not God. 
you need your husband to tell you who you are and not God. And so we kind of get things skewed off there in men the same way. Like, you know, I want my wife to tell me who I am, what I'm about. Like, that's not what we should be about either. Individuals who are created equal in God's eyes. And I think this points back to starting at home. And this is really where godly living starts. Like, if we can't, if we can't get home right, then how can anything else be right? Like, we come to church and we think things are going to be different, or maybe we pretend. And Paul's going, no, hey, in, the, in a similar letter that he wrote to the church in Ephesus, which he's also writing First Timothy to the church in Ephesus, I think he's using the same word here, woman, gune, translated as wife here, um, is pointing to that. So, um, and I know it's difficult. Maybe at home, maybe um, your husband's not the spiritual leader. And maybe he's not even a believer. And so I'm, I'm praying for you in that. And I don't think that God's saying, hey, just take, you know, sit on the sidelines while maybe you're waiting. No, the, the encouragement here for us is that I want to encourage you. Um, being here, being in this place, um, receiving instruction, worshiping together is where you need to be as you pray um, for your husband. And so here's the second part of this. So we've got <clears throat> wife. We look at that, what it says. And then we've got the word for man here, which is an heir. And if you look in Ephesians chapter 5 as well, uh, in a lot of other places that this particular word is used, it's translated as husband. So again, is Paul talking about men and women and not being... Um, over each other in certain authority roles, not being in leadership like, you know, women, you can't lead worship, right? I love that we have ladies that worship. And what Kristen said when she was praying at the end, maybe, maybe we just need to get into it, right? And maybe we don't have the confidence that we need. And so I want to encourage you that maybe if that's you, there's a place for you to serve. There's a place for you to lead in. And there's really just a couple of roles that we would reserve for men according to the word, being the pastor and the elder or deacon. We'll talk about that next week. Um, so there's not a lot of limitations. And Paul's actually, he's lifting up women. He's lifting up the uh, marriage relationship. And he's going, here's what, if we would do this, family unit would function well, <clears throat> and the church would too. So let me read Ephesians 5 here for you. I'm sure you've read it many times. Ephesians chapter 5, 22 through 33. It says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. <clears throat> His body and him is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husband loves your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or blemish or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves himself, loves, his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, amen. By the way, that word for man is a different word than the others, ones for husband and wife. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. Let the wife see that she respects her husband. We see this idea that Paul's writing about. It's no coincidence that Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus about this issue. Um, and I, I've been talking with our guys this week, um, one in particular, one of our deacons about it. And um, the church went through a study before we even came about love and respect um, and how really these two ideas um, foundationally in marriage kind of create the, the, the building blocks towards how the family operates well uh, and then how the church operates well. And so in godly living, if we, can't, if we can't go back to these texts and go, here's how we should operate. Not being abused, by the way. Um, not being treated poorly. Um, respect doesn't mean that a husband hurts a wife, right? Um, that's emotionally, physically, 
verbally, that's not okay, all right? But when we read this, we see that God's trying to set this layer of protection up, right? I know some ladies go, I don't need a man to protect me. Well, maybe physically that might actually be something that happened. Hopefully that's never happened to you. Somebody's attacked you, but, but why has God placed somebody there to walk alongside you? Maybe for that, definitely for emotional and spiritual leading and protection um, and to be there for those things. And so as we think about this, I want us to remember the issues they're going through, um, that socially, economically, culturally, everything was working against God's plan for marriage, the family unit, and the church. And I know some of us, as we hear this, we're like, man, I could like, really use some work in this. You know, maybe guys, you're like, oh, like I, you know, I really need to lead better. I really need to pray for my wife and for my kids or even pray over them. Um, that's a cool thing to do too. We should do that. But this is not about, when Paul's writing, he's not like restricting women. He's not subjugating women. In fact, he's doing the opposite. In the very first statement that he makes in this verse here in 11, he's going, let them learn. Let them learn the right way, right? Um, and definitely any of those that... Um, uh, have a position of service or leadership in the church. Like I, I was asked a question, um, I think by one of our ladies who you know, leads worship, is that okay? Is it like okay for us to say something in service? And I was like, yes, yes. Because what is God doing for all of us, especially those who are, who are serving? And, and, and I've seen it many, many times. Um, God says things to these ladies many times that they'll share and is an encouragement. And I have a lot of conversations with you too. It's not about going, women can't say anything to men. A woman, any woman in the church cannot say anything to another man in the church. That's, that's not what he's saying. Like when we're in community, uh, we're, we're in this culture together of church. He's saying, hey, let's do it in the right way. Let's start, first of all, let's start at home. Let's build those building blocks and let's work our way up, okay? And so here's the last thing, deception and salvation. So we talked about quarreling and praying for men. We talked about um, culture versus modesty for ladies. And we talked about learning uh, versus teaching and how... God wants us to understand, hey, there's this way that it was set up. Um, <clears throat> not permitting a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she just remain quiet. Now, and this doesn't say, don't, don't come into church and not speak at all. Don't have conversations. Don't even find a place where you can lead and serve. Paul's saying, no, women have this really special place. And he's going to end it in a kind of a cool space. Uh, I think it's going to help us understand that not only does God uh, see equality for both genders, right? And there's so much confusion, isn't there? It's like I was reading an article, article a couple weeks ago. Um, there was this uh, English guy who, because um, there's like all this transgenderism and stuff that's going on, which is obviously a distortion of God's word. So there's that that's going on that's confusing us a lot. But there's this guy, this English guy who said, yeah, I, I, I want to change my gender and I also want to change my ethnicity. I don't know if you've <laughs> Never heard that before, but uh, when I was reading this article like that, that was the first time I read it, and he's like this um, white English guy, and he's like, I want to be an Asian woman. And you're like, that, like, that, doesn't, <laughs> right? that doesn't work, right? So you can't, not only can you not, or you shouldn't change your gender, right? He's saying, no, I'll go through plastic surgery, I'll do this stuff, and that's who I want to be. And there was this interesting conversation between him and another individual um, <laughs> who supported transgenderism that said, uh, yeah, you can't change your ethnicity. I mean, you can change your gender, but you can't change your ethnicity. How, how crazy, like, have we gotten as a culture? Like, we think, like, Ephesus, like, man, you guys were, that was tough then. We got it tough now, too, don't we? And what is culture trying to do? What is Satan trying to do? He's throwing all these things at us, and he's lying to people, and he's, he's making them believe things that are just crazy, Right? that are a complete distortion from God and his word. And so Paul, Paul didn't even address this because it hadn't happened yet, right, in our culture. But he's saying, hey, let's go back to the basics. 
Men, stop fighting. Why don't you start praying some more? The ladies, let's focus on modesty instead of what's going on in the culture. And how do we learn? How do we teach? Where is women's placement? We're really more about where do we start in marriage? How can men lead better? How can women feel safe and protected and loved, right? How can our ladies respect our husbands? That's what he was trying to get to, right? He wasn't trying to put ladies down. And so here's the last thing, deception versus salvation. Deception versus salvation. Um, And here's the good news for us. It says in verse 13, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. Again, as we're reading this, we have to read it within its context. Um, We can't just go like, yeah, okay, Adam was created first. Yes, that's true. It's a factual statement. Uh, Many times people read this and go, Adam was first, so he was better. (laughs) Not true. If you look at what Adam says about Eve after Eve comes onto the setting, he's like, what does he say? Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And he knows this is good, right? So in my conversations this week, because this is a difficult passage, and I think for a lot of us as we read it, hopefully as we've kind of gone over some of these things and kind of redefine what Paul was really talking about and and starting in the family unit and then building up to the church, we've got to start there, right? Not about subjugating ladies. Um, I was talking with one of our deacons about this. He didn't want credit for it, but I'm just going to say what he said. It's an interesting account how Eve came to be. God could have taken any part of Adam's body. For that matter, he didn't need to take any part of the body. He made Adam from the dust, the dirt. I'm sure he could have made Eve from the dust or the dirt the same way. God chose the rib as a sign, a symbol, a gesture, making Eve an equal to Adam. So not a new and separate being, a partner equal with value, different in aspects and skills. It comes back to what we talked about, right? So men and women are different. We know that, right? God doesn't attribute uh, more value to one or the other. And if we can start and like, just like scoot away from culture for a moment, like from our culture, which confuses us a lot, and then we step back into Ephesus culture and we go, what were they dealing with? And then we look at what Paul says and we're like, man, it makes so much sense. Well, let's go back to the way that we need to operate, with love, with respect, like Ephesians says. But then there's this deception versus salvation. So, and no more value is assigned. It says here in verse 14, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Breathe again. Okay, everybody breathe again, right? So we've got equal value, and then we read this, we're like, wait a second, it's Paul saying that this was all Eve's fault. <laughs> because when we read the text too, we go like, um, especially um, some people who've distorted the truth have said, all Eve's fault, like, man, he was there, he was like, he walks on the scene, he's like, what did you do? Like, what's going on? It's not exactly the way that it happened, is it? We read the quiet time today. I want to read one verse out of it again, chapter 5, verse 19, because what we see here is Eve was deceived. What did Adam do? And this should rest, I think, heavy on us, especially as men. I knew it did when I read this this morning. It says in 19, For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners. What did that say? The one man's disobedience. Many were made sinners. What was the consequence of Adam disobeying? Eve may have been deceived, like what Paul says, but Paul's also writing to the church in Rome about this. And when he says this in verse 19 of chapter 5, he says, For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners. What's the good news? We keep reading. So by the one man's obedience, many were made righteous. So, guys, we've 
messed up. We're going to fall short over and over and over again. And ladies, have grace, please. Right, because the guys need it. <laughs> I needed it this week too. Uh, and so as we read this, it should be an encouragement to us though, right? We read this and we see that Adam was not deceived, but woman was deceived and became a transgressor. One of the number one rules um, I was taught in hermeneutics, so the study of God's word, uh, was scripture interprets scripture. So when you read one thing, and I don't even have to do this, right, because it popped up in the quiet time today. I was like, yes, with one man's disobedience. So Eve was deceived. What did man do? Disobeyed. What's worse, deception or disobedience? Both sin, but how did sin enter the world when, when, when Adam was like, I think I'm just going to keep doing my own thing. That doesn't seem right over there, Eve. Yeah, like that snake guy, weird. Um, did, what, did, what did he do? He disobeyed, right? He knew what the truth was. He was placed in this position of leadership, to shepherd and to guide. And he said, I'm going to pass today. And what happened? Sin entered the world. What's more good news for us, though? It says in verse 15, Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness. Um, and again, we read this. There's a lot of things we read in this, and we're just like, what? <laughs> what is going on? Um, so when I read this and just studying and praying over it, there's a few words that actually aren't translated in English. So when you look here, it says, yet she will be saved through the childbearing. And most scholars, a lot of commentators say that this is referring directly to Jesus. What happened? Bryce talked about it today, too. So Jesus came in the form of a man, but a sinful man wasn't a part of the equation, right? God gave Jesus to Mary. Mary carried Jesus. And so that's why it says here in 15, yet she will be saved through the childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness. Um, So there's this word here, this translation issue, and then it says they continue. A lot of times, no, I too, there's, there's like confusion around like childbearing. Wait a minute, what if you didn't have kids? Wait, I can't be saved? No, right? That's a distortion as well. So some people have said that, and that's definitely wrong. And so when we read this, it says, yes, she will be saved through childbearing. And guess what? God had this plan all the way from the very beginning, right? He knew that Adam and Eve were going to sin. And how was he going to rescue them? Not by the one man's disobedience, but by who? By Jesus, who God gave to Mary, she carried him. And today when we think about this, we you know, have to remember um, who was who the man, right? Who was the man who saved things? We know we, we've got these men around us culturally. We've got even us as men who make a lot of mistakes. We get consumed with like being better than other guys. Um, and it's not as much on like social media, but we do it at work. We do it other places. And if we can just be like better, make ourselves feel, you know, more manly, right? Maybe by getting in a fight, it doesn't do any good, does it? Right? We defend our families, right? We're not pacifists, so we defend our families, but we're more about, like, daily praying for our wives and our kids. And I do, I do that every day. Like, I'm, like, I'm just kind of scared about culture, right, and the things that they're going into every day, the things they're being bombarded by, and I'm like, God, I can't do this on my own. It doesn't matter what I say. If I get up every single day and I tell them, like, you know, daughter, you are beautiful. You are lovely. You know, you don't need the culture to tell you who you are. You don't need to dress a particular way to make... Um, yourself feel better. Like, who are you? You're a child of God. You're a daughter of the king. And I know I don't want to stand before God and have him be like, so how'd you take care of my ladies? I got four of them, right? So guys, maybe we need to think a little bit more of that. We need to do a little more praying. Um, Ladies, be focused. What does the culture tell us? A lot of bad stuff, right? A lot of stuff that's not going to help you. 
Um, we should be, you should be more focused, right? Modesty, respectability. Um, and then in regards to learning and teaching, God's really only reserved. If we look in the scriptures, we'll talk about it next week, a few places for men to serve and lead out in the church. And, and ladies can find a number of places. In fact, like I was like, I was thinking about this morning. I don't know what we do without the ladies that serve in our church. Like, what would we be even, even be able to do? Um, so ladies are an integral part of it, created equal and valued by God um, equally to men. And while there was deception, man, what did man do? He disobeyed. You look at Romans 5, it's, it's very clear. Man disobeyed. So what do we need to focus on? Well, I believe this. Since What did Jesus do? He came, right? He was given to Mary. Mary carried him. We don't necessarily deify or um, worship Mary, but we go like, God used a woman in an amazing way. He didn't go like, okay, men, let's, you know, let's get together and fix this. No, he said, I'm going to send Jesus be born of a woman, be fully God and fully man, live a sinless life for us, which, by the way, so he could like, like, you think like, why did Jesus have to come and, you know, be a part of things? Alana and I were talking, we were going to bed one night, and, and she was like, how did Jesus help make the world if he wasn't born yet? She asked me that question, and, and I, she was thinking like, I got him. <laughs> I got him on this one. So we talked about pre-existence and all that and how Jesus existed before the foundation of the world with God the Father and the Son but, and the Holy Spirit, but that's another story. We were talking about this, and <clears throat> it's foundational because Jesus came, he was born by woman, so that he could live that life for us, a sinless life, by the way, because we're all sinful, right? Romans 3 tells us that, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we've got to make this admission, right? And the good news for us is as we read this and we think about men and women and the roles that they've played throughout the world and society and culture, God's not going, one's greater, one's better than the other. They all serve a purpose together. It starts in marriage. If we could just view this thing right, love and respect, um, and it's not about being better than one or the other, then we'd get everything else right too. <clears throat> there's deception, but the good news is there's salvation. And what is that? Well, God's given us access to this free gift. If you've been reading through the quiet time in Romans, in fact, I'd, if you're confused about any of this stuff, what we believe, I would start in Romans 1. And just like go up to Romans 5 or 6, which is where we're at right now, Romans 5. Because what does it tell us that we've been given this gift? Bad news is the wages of our sin are death, right? Read that in Romans 6. And this gift that God's given us, it's eternal life. Like, and we don't have to, <clears throat> and I shared this before, um, Alana has this uh, game. She's really good at math, by the way. Like, she doesn't even need it anymore. Um, just have been amazing us lately. <laughs> and uh, she has this game kind of helped her learn math. It had weights and monkeys, and the weights had numbers. And so you put these monkeys on one side, and you have to like, oh, wait, there's eight monkeys right now. I've got to get to the, the number eight and put it on the other side. Isn't that exhausting, like in the scales of our life, trying to go like, if I could do enough good things, then God would be pleased with me. Like, I don't do anything like to try to merit God's favor. I do those things because I love God. And you know what he gave to me? A wonderful gift. And it's a gift that any of you uh, could receive. First starts with admitting we're sinners, right? We know what salvation is believing this, that we've been given this free gift. And there's one last thing I want to remind us about before we leave, and I'll pray for us. Because I think all this ties together, this idea. We can get hung up on ideas or phrases that we don't like in the Word, but if we would just like really let the Word wash over us, I think we would understand there's something greater going on. God's always pointing us back to the gift of salvation and this wonderful thing He's done for us. We know the verse probably, but I'll read it. Romans 10.9 says, Because if you confess with your what? Your mouth. That Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And you'll be saved. So what merits salvation? What grants right placement? 
Is it all the things in culture? Is it all the things that like, people are trying to do to be good enough? And I'll tell you, um, I came over here a little bit later this morning. I made it on time. I was doing some training with the fire department. And, and there's not a day that my pager goes off and I'm going like, I'm going to help with a car accident or a fire or something else because I think God's going to be happy with me. Like I do that because I think it's part of my calling in life, not only as a pastor or husband and father, um, but to help in our community. And, I, and I'm not thinking to myself like, eh, my motivation is to be good enough. It's not going to happen, right? We've been given a free gift. And we look at this text, we understand our roles. <clears throat> Maybe the godly life is not so much about good living, right? Maintaining all the things that we think will make us happy and, um, and doing all the right things to be in a right place with God. Let's just focus on the godly living, not worry about everything else. And our marriage relationships start with and help and encouraging. And I'm praying for you too. I know some of us, it's just difficult. It's like, my husband was here, or um, if, uh, if maybe I could like, get him to lead a little better home, and if, even if he is, cut some slack, um, pray for him, and um, if you're listening to me and you're a guy, it really does start with you. Start praying. Stop doing all the fighting. And then if you don't know, if you're in here this morning maybe, if you're online, you're like, I don't really know what it means to not have to have this weight of doing enough good things rest on me, having to merit my own salvation. We, we, don't, we don't believe that's the case, right? We take this free gift that God's given us, and we can receive it. <clears throat> and what does Paul say at the end? This should be the outward sign of a believer, that we should do what? Continue in faith, in love, in holiness, in self-control. See, there it is, full circle. Guys, stop quarreling. Stop fighting. Start worrying about praying. Now let's get right with the Lord before we do anything else. And then if we, are, we do belong to God, if we believe that, um, scriptures tell us we'll be saved, and what comes after that? We continue in faith. We do good things because we belong to God. What else? We love. Yeah. We love each other unconditionally. We don't act like we're better. We try to live holy, right? In holiness, we'll make mistakes. God forgives us, luckily, and with self-control, right? We need some more of that in our culture too, don't we? Self-control. So let's end with that. I want to pray for you, and then I'll be here afterwards if you want to talk about any of that. I know it was a lot today, right? And we read something, and at, at face value, we're like, I think it's saying one thing, but maybe it was saying something else to us this morning. So let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you for your word. Um, God, it's uh, overwhelming to um, belong to you. Um, God, we, at times, we don't feel like we're valuable. God, like what Kristen said, I want to uh, reiterate that. We just need to jump into doing what you want us to do. Um, we want to have these lives that are faithful. God, if we belong to you, that we would continue in those things. Um, help us to understand some of these difficult things, God. When we read them, we're like, what is going on? Um, God, I pray that as we leave this place, um, we'd have a better understanding that the men would do a little bit less fighting, comparing, a little more praying. Um, God, you'd help me to do that too. Uh, God, that in our culture, our ladies are just bombarded um, by everything that the world tells them they're supposed to be or do. And um, God, I just can't do it on my own. You know I need help to encourage the ladies in my life. But um, God, I just pray that you would do a great work in all of our women that are here today, um, that the focus would be modesty, um, that it would be um, a focus on the heart and the good works um, that you've prepared in advance for us to do. When it comes to learning and teaching, God, I pray that we, just, we, wouldn't, get, um, we wouldn't get confused or upset or angry over interpretation, understanding of the scripture. But today I hope that we walk out of this place with a little better idea 
um, with the men being challenged, um, ladies being encouraged to respect. Uh, and God, really, we know this starts at home. Um, I just pray, if there's anybody here today that needs help um, in that area, um, they would seek it out, whether it's me or somebody else. Um, God, let's make sure that we're right there before we come to this place. Um, and God, with the deception that took place in the garden, as Eve was deceived, God, we know there was something greater that took place. A man chose to disobey God, to you, to disobey you. I pray that the uh, weight of that would rest on us, especially as men, um, to lead, to encourage, to love our wives. Um, and God, if we could work in harmony like this, God, we know you've, that's the way you've set it up. Um, it's about the relationship that your son has with the church. Um, <clears throat> thank you for that relationship, unconditional love and salvation that you've given to us. If there's anybody here who doesn't know you, God, like that, um, who has not, put their faith and trust in you, uh, admitted their sinner, um, believe that you sent Jesus to die for our sins, and, and God, not living under that crushing weight of trying to do enough good things, um, but God, just confessing with our mouths, you've said it yourself, if we do that, we'll be saved. And it's your name we pray. Amen. Love you, church.